0: To the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast with your hosts, Jeremy Fake and Paul Schaeflein. Each week, you'll catch us speaking to expert developers about new tech, lessons learned, and opinions in this space. Well, Jeremy, how are you? Good, buddy. We, um, I apologize for not being able to record with you on Friday because my uh, <laughs> wife and kids were really ill and I was playing nurse for the, uh, the whole long weekend and totally ignored the calendar pop up when it said, record the intro for the episode 175 of
1: well, You know what, I, I at first I thought, well, hmm, but then most people are on vacation last week. Well, so most Americans yeah. were on vacation last week, so I figured no big deal, but we'll get this out today. It's always great. Yeah, so, that's right. It's so, all good.
0: So, so, it's only going to be like 24 hours late. It's not it's a problem. So,
1: it's good to know that when I'm an old decrepit pod show host, you can nurse me. <laughs> So, I, uh, yes, we had Waldeck on this week. I Him and I had a chat, but before we get to Waldeck, we want to cover some news, as we usually do. And uh, the first one that I found this week is a couple on Adaptive Cards. I know we've had uh, David Clow on the episode. It's been a while now, uh, but they've released a new version of Adaptive Cards 1.3. But what to me is most interesting is that there is a blog post from Thomas Postek, which I probably mispronounced his name as well. But Thomas has a uh, what he's calling the ultimate guide on adaptive cards, which is one of the, you know, I like to say we want to get two more than one voice on something. So this is like a third party voice going through all the different capabilities of adaptive and where you can use it, including in Microsoft Flow and stuff. So it's a a nice uh, primer for those who are new to the technology. And he's got a whole series on adaptive cards in there as well.
0: Yeah, that was kinda of cool. I obviously David in the opposite neighbor, neighborhood to me in the building and um, he's in the same team as me That we, so we catch up every week but I've not been too plugged into Adaptive mm-hmm. Cards. Um, I always thought it was an interesting tech but there's some cool stuff that we're going to be working on together with Adaptive Cards and the graph coming up that um, you'll start to see the fruits of <laughs> soon. And so it is really cool stuff and these guys are super smart. So um, if you haven't looked at Adaptive Cards I know you're a big fan. Paul. Yes I um, am this is really cool and you should definitely listen to the episode with David Klo um, and at least go and check out those community calls so you can see where things are going.
1: Yeah. Sadly, I haven't been able to make the, the community calls. There's just so many community calls. That it's, it's a little tough yeah. on the calendar, but uh, I love Information
0: overload. This um, is where you listen to the podcast, right? I guess. Exactly.
1: Yes, exactly.
0: In other news, um, uh, you've heard me praise the uh, new Microsoft Edge browser a bunch on here. But um, one thing I was really impressed with is in the Canary builds now, um, which you, know, you have to choose between Canary and Dev, you can turn on a flag, um, which essentially allows for tracking protection. Um, and so by default, it's set on balanced. Um, but if you flick on tracking... Uh, pre- prevention in the privacy and services in the standard edge settings, um, you can change it from being balanced to um, strict or basic. And so, what that will mean is is that you can stop those sniff- sneaky little ads that will do things like track you as you go across different sites that are outside of their realm and share cookies around each other. Um, and obviously you no know, privacy is really important and so this is a great way of kind of getting getting better at that so that the internet doesn't know as much about you so if you are using one of those builds you should definitely go check that out paul thore actually blogged about that on his um, throat.com yeah. um, blog there with screenshots and stuff
1: uh, i would echo the the praise of the new edge running it i'm running canary build as well uh, can't wait for sync to happen on azure ad accounts but it's an excellent browser and more privacy is better yes
0: that's right and i have it on my mac now as well um so i am fully like uninstalled firefox and chrome and everything else now and um yeah this is what we're using so i am i'm super impressed with where they've gone with this it's um it's excellent to see where microsoft have kind of made that jump over to chromium and, and focusing on features in the browser now
1: yep uh, another one I found. I've I've got a bunch this week. I have more on hardcore .netty stuff, but we'll start with Visual Studio tips and tricks. And, and this is a blog post from from Mads, and um, I don't I forgot Mads' last name. Uh, long he's written eight Mads. Christensen, who is a senior program manager on the Visual Studio Extensibility, um, has written uh, uh, thousands, it seems, of Visual Studio Extensions. But he has gone through the the, the Twitter feed over the last uh, quite a bit of time and it's just got a bunch of little tips and tricks about things you can do um, in debugging and, and keyboard shortcuts and, and the IntelliSense capabilities that uh, exist up in there. One thing that I didn't realize is that you can have a sound play when the build fails or succeeds, uh, so um, which, which I don't know how many times I've I've you know tried to rebuild something and refresh a browser, and I don't see any changes because there's some stupid compiler error. So little things like that, which can make your life so much uh, so much better. So uh, I wanted to get those links out to folks uh, who are still using Visual Studio. To-
0: The spell checker that you can add on as an extension, I was not aware of. Uh, My spelling is not too bad, but there are definitely some devs where I'm doing code reviews at the minute where the spelling is definitely... uh, Led to be desired. Um, English and may not so be their, their primary cool. language,
1: right? So, that, I think that's well, usually there right. there's that too. Yeah. yeah. And
0: so, um, having a spell checker there is actually super useful for catching typos. So, um, Mads' post is really cool.
1: <laughs> yeah, and and not my new favorite is the uh, the custom window layouts. So, obviously, at, at my desk at home, I have a, a big monitor. But when I'm on the road, I have just the built in monitor for the, uh, uh, built into the, the surface. So it's nice to be able to just flip and say, Hey, put everything in one place or, or refer to my custom saved layouts. It's really pretty slick stuff.
0: Yeah. And then we had uh, another program manager, Kayla Cinnamon, uh, who's in the Windows Terminal console and command line team. Um, Uh, We've talked about this a bit on the show, but it goes down as the most fancy YouTube video, marketing video known to man. Um, It looked like I thought Apple were launching something and it was actually Microsoft. Um, It was first aired in Kevin Gallo's keynote that was alongside the keynote I did with Rajesh um, at Build. And, um, you know, we gave... Kevin, we teased him a little bit on like how overproduced the video was to announce its new Windows terminal, but um, it is now available in the store in preview. And um, I've been using it. I love the fact that it can have multiple tabs open and you you can do all sorts of cool stuff with the styling and changing the background colors and different things. I've seen Scott Hanselman over the weekend post a blog that he has the background change when certain things happen in the console. Like if there's a... If you're looking at a, a, a build like an NPM or a Gulp build and it sees the word error, it'll change the background, the entire background to let you know that there's something wrong. Um, the only thing I've found is when I spun up a PowerShell window, um, I couldn't copy and paste into it.
1: Did you have that problem? I I did. I did. Although I typically end up wanting to copy from the window and paste it. And yes, I've run into that same issue as well. Um, And that's what that's the big blocker for me. But one, you know, to follow on with Scott Hanselman's little tip there, by the way, the background image can be an internet accessible web page. So for example, you could, I have a blog post that kind of covers this a little bit, but it, you can point it at like a, an image that's the the build status of, a, of an Azure DevOps build, right? There, there, you can get like a badge image that's automatically part of your Azure DevOps pipeline. So you could then have the background just not, not that you, in Scott's example, he's updating the the file, the local settings file. But you can imagine if it's always pulling a, a status image, and that you can change the image up in the cloud, and it'll be reflected back down. So little things like that are going to be productivity enhancers, I think for sure.
0: Yeah, it's cool. <laughs> I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing that get more polished and. Um, so I can flip over that because I do spend a lot of time in GitHub where it'd be nice to have a little bit easier, easier on the eye than command line to run.
1: Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, uh, another .NET blog post that I found is discussing the evolution of uh, .NET Core or the evolving infrastructure, it's called, of, of .NET Core. This is uh, posted by Matt Mitchell, who is uh, also with Microsoft. And he. this is an introductory post that goes through about how... .Net Core is being de- architected and built, and and including using DevOps and and this big dependency graph of all the various NuGet packages that get involved. So it's it's a great high level understanding of what's going on in the .Net development space, if you will, from Microsoft. And it certainly is. I found it helpful to say, well. Hmm, if I'm writing a library or I am have some comments in the code, maybe I should look at some of these principles. So I think it's, again, one of these, if you're a professional developer, you should be trying to improve your your skill set. And this is a, a great way to see how other folks are doing it, uh, especially if you're using this platform, you might understand what's going on behind the scenes. Right. <laughs>
0: Yeah. Right. I mean, it's good that we're, you know, again, dog food and our own stuff to get things done. And that post is really a good breakdown of, I mean, .NET in general have been great at sharing this stuff, but it's just nice to see this written down like that. Yeah. Um, and then the last one we had was um, John Levesque, who is um, Mr. Flow and always on Twitter and posting YouTube videos. And he is a true evangelist of this product. Um, they've just announced that they're going to do, again, the Microsoft Flow online conference. Co- and so they've got a call for speakers out. Um, the event will be on September 10th at 9 a.m. EST. Um, so if you're interested in kind of talking about Flow, um, obviously I'm sure there's going to be a bunch of people doing Flow plus Graph. Um, I'm I'm sure there'll be a bunch on three plus SharePoint. Um, But so you know, if you've got an interest in those and want to be part of that, it's a great way to um, get some speaker speaker minutes, speaker hours under your belt um, as as our user groups. And um, I actually did engage in this one last year, and I learned some stuff that I didn't know about around the Graph and Flow. So um, John is great for setting these things up, and so I would definitely go check out that. Yeah, and in addition, the, the Flow Flow blog.
1: Yeah. So Flow is part of the business applications group, which has the semi-annual release as well. And in the last couple releases have been massive, you know, 100 page readmes of what's new. So I would expect that this is a place for you to learn about these new features or see them in action if you've heard about them. So um, certainly worth uh, worth the time if you can spare it. Right. And it's online, so no travel, which is always nice.
0: It's free apart from your own time. Yeah. There you go. Awesome.
1: Uh, speaking of virtual, I should, forgot to put a link here and uh, I'll be doing a, well, a virtual user group as well. So you're mentioning how it's going to get some, you know, speaker hours and stuff. So the Dallas Fort Worth user group has gone virtual and uh, so oh, yeah, that's, that, right. that, that, that's me and uh, Eric uh, you know, Some of you have seen us talk in the past, but so I'm going to be talking about teams at his user group in the, later this month. So
2: I'll put a link of this oh, there cool. as well.
1: And that's so, right. Yeah. And uh, this week I had a chance to sit down with Waldeck a longtime SharePoint uh, developer and a good friend of mine. Was, uh, uh, sadly that you were playing nursemaid and couldn't participate. But uh, <laughs> Waldeck and I had a, a great chat uh, about he's done a lot of work on the Office Dev CLI. And so I grilled him on what it does and how it was built and, and things that yeah, you can go for. So, um, always great to get his insights and stuff. Awesome. And so without further ado, uh, here's Waldeck.
0: Let's see you next week. See you mate. Thanks.
1: So this week I have the pleasure to sit down with a long time friend of mine, Waldeck Mastercars. Hello, Waldeck. Hi Paul. How you doing? I am doing terrific. How about yourself? Very good, thank you. It's been a while, huh? Yes, it has. Although I've heard you on the the show with Vesa, which I I'm drawing a blank on the name, but wait, you haven't heard me? Dev Weekly, SP Dev Weekly, SP Dev Weekly. Yeah. So before we go too far down that path, why don't you uh, tell everybody a little bit about yourself?
2: Sure. Um, I am product owner at Rancor. Um, I am Office Development MVP today on July the first for eleventh year. That's awesome. Um, other than that, I used to do a lot of dev work. Nowadays, I'm more about helping other devs do the dev work. Uh, I'm re- uh, re- 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 responsible for the product at Rancor, as I said. Um, I do majority of time I spend on um, trying to understand the customers, challenges that they have, and then translating that into the value that we can add at Rancor. Okay, and so the obviously,
1: you know, I've also been doing office dev since the eleven years yeah, is oh, oh, the, the beginning time. of five time. Yes, <laughs> yes indeed. <laughs> <laughs> and so, what, when you and I both started out, you had done. I knew you. You were the, my go-to guy for SharePoint publishing and a lot of the oh, development yeah, stuff yeah, way back yeah. in the day. And obviously, that's not what you're doing now. So, what what is it like to transition from hands-on writing? Writing code to to a, a bigger level of managing
2: a product, it is a challenge, and that's an interesting one because, like, obviously, when when I took the job, I had no idea what it would entitle. right? Because it's like, you say yes to something, and then you have an image of that, and then the reality comes, and you're like, okay, that's different, right? Like, being being a dev, meaning you spend your days writing code, and some of that is being spec'd by somebody else, like an architect. At some point in in a career, you learn more and you become the architect. So you kind of spec your own work, you plan it. But then still, you at the end of the day, you look back and you say, like, "This is the code I wrote. These are the things that I've done. These are the bugs I fixed or the bugs that I've added." Uh, <laughs> and based on that, you can see like the the worth of work you have done at any given day. That is not the case for me because, like, what is my 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 i i my day? Sure, we work towards a goal at Rancor. We want to achieve things, but that doesn't always translate into the things that I do, do personally. Because I plan, I have an an interview, I have a meeting, I have a call, and the hardest change that I found uh, personally is the is the the change from how do I how do I look in the evening in a mirror and say, that was good day or not, right? Because there, there are no that many lines of, of code I wrote. There are some <laughs> yeah. other things, right? right? So basically, to learn that and to learn to understand like how, how effective I was or productive I was, it's not related to the keystrokes of the day, but to other things. Yeah, and I can imagine after a long
1: time of doing one, transitioning to another can be somewhat difficult, right?
2: I've been dev all my life, and I mean, in some way, I still do a lot of open source, you could even say almost every day. So I still dev, just not for work. Right, and so touching on that open source deving each day, I assume you're referring to the, the CLI, right? The yes, Office, correct.
1: Office 365 CLI, did I get that correct. name right? Yes, yes, Correct. <laughs> So what
2: exactly is a CLI? Just start at the high level on that. Sure. It's a cross-platform command line tool that allows you to manage your 365 uh, tenant, as well as to upgrade your SharePoint framework projects from one, one version to another. And so that first item, manage your tenant, what are the types of things I would want
1: to What types of things I want to manage that I would use the CLI for?
2: So originally, the idea was that it was, I think... A year and a half back, I don't know if you recall that Microsoft would introduce as a part of the SPFX wave of things, um, CDN in 365. right? The the only way to enable it was what? In PowerShell. PowerShell back then, and and in in a way still now, runs only on (laughs) Windows. I've been on a Mac for the last four years or so, maybe five. I cannot do that. And to spin up a VM every single time, I wanted to, still, still being a dev, to test CDN, I like back. And forth, I was tired of that. So honestly, you say, you know what? I, I have this uh, issue, and I bet that there are many other folks in the world who have the same challenge because I am not the only dev on the Mac. Especially when you think of it, like back in the days, developing for SharePoint was very much exclusive to Windows. There was a Windows way of doing things. You have to be on Windows, VS, and so forth and so on. Nowadays, in SPFX, that is not the case, right? Because that is based on the open source web stack, and that is every OS, where Linux, Mac, or Windows. And to be honest, like even on Mac, it's 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 faster than it is on Windows, right? So. In it, Anyway, bigger the odds that more developers are on a Mac. And there are a number of things with regards to managing your tenant that, that you cannot do on a Mac or you could not do in a Mac. So, my first need was to basically scratch my own itch. I wanted to be able to enable CDN on my own tenant. And from one command, we are at, I don't know, 300 now that 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 basically uh spread across whole 365 from planner that we added last week to teams to flows to sharepoint to aad right so basically we try to like our ambition is to cover it all to have one single tool you can use on any os to do whatever you have to do, whether it is upload a file, change something on a tenant, export flow, clone teams, list your planner task, do reporting, do management, change things, whatever you want to do. Which
1: is a very ambitious goal. And with 300 plus commands, I'm are you,
2: are you almost there? Are you just getting, getting (laughs) scratching the surface? We're (laughs) scratching the surface. So I think that from SPL point of view, and also the interesting thing is that Things change over time. So in a way, we, first of all, need to catch up because we have, uh, we lag behind SPO for, I don't know how long SPO PowerShell exists already for how many years, but so we lag on all of that. And then every single month, there are new releases of Teams flows. And whatnot right so we have new products being um added in 365 with new commands every month and then the backlog that we had already so it's like it's an interesting uh um effort but the cool thing is that we have really cool community who helps us basically every day or every day every week when when we have a release they contribute a comment a comment at a time and and Basically, the philosophy that we had so far is a comment at a time. We will get there eventually. That's true. Exactly right. So now there's I have a bunch
1: of questions about that, right? So, sure. well, before we do, it, first we should say you you mentioned there's a, a strong community. So I'm guessing if anyone's listening and wants to get involved, is there a way for
2: them to do that? Absolutely. So um, the one thing that was re- really important for us from the very first date is to To manage the the effort in the open, to have everything in the open, there is no, well, you can say core team, or there is no, like everything is in the open. We have issue a list on uh, in the, um, the repo, which is basically a to do list. Like these are the things that we would like to have. If you have another idea or you have something that you might need, of which we don't know, we accept that too. Let us know. Let's think on a spec, and you can go, uh, go work on that, right? So like, the core effort for us is to, to work in the open because like, the one thing that we want to avoid is that you don't reach out to us. You go work on something. By coincidence, somebody else will work on the same thing, and then we have two PRs from the same thing, and then we waste somebody's time. So, instead, we say, you know what? Let's think. Let's tell us uh, what you want to do. We will ensure that it's in line with everything else that we have already, and get going. And we will have that command in. And the really cool thing is that I think that every release that we had, we add contributors. We add new people who are willing to spend their time and effort to help us out to help community out, advancing CLI, uh, which is uh, a great. opportunity
1: and again I just reiterate it, it No, as a as a maintainer, you don't want to get a PR with you know dozens of files changed and try to figure out what's going on. It's much easier to have an issue first, and then you can say, okay, yeah, that Paul, that's your issue. Go ahead and write it, and uh, yeah. So that it's a good a good approach there. And now the so if I wanted to not not that I have any time personally, but if I wanted to get involved with the CLI, right? So I, I'm guessing that uh, you have to call into the Microsoft Graph at some point, right? Is that kind of how this happens?
2: Yes, depending on what you want to do, right? Because if you, would have, if you would say, you know, I want to have a command for SPO for something that is not, not exposed in graph, then you would obviously call SPO directly, right? Either through CSOM or REST, because even not everything that you might want to do, like, for example, MMS, taxonomy, that is not exposed in REST yet. There are some, some ideas around it, some plans, maybe at some point it will be available. Today, the fact, it isn't. Right. So if you wanted to do anything about that, CSOM uh, um, would be be the, the way to go. But if there is something like, for example, planner, like a, a, a thing that we added just the last week, that we get the info for that. We communicate with that through Graph. Absolutely. And so if I am struggling
1: with Microsoft Graph or I want to see how someone else has done it, I, is it possible for me to Jeremy Tank at Microsoft.com. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, always. I mean, he always loves to get random emails. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, I, I guess my point is that the, the, there's uh, probably many examples of calling Microsoft Graph the, you know, in the CLI then, yes? Yeah? So if I get the repo, oh, yeah, yeah. source
2: code, I can then learn what others have been doing, right? Absolutely. So there are two ways to get, get around, right? I mean, one, for if you want to see how to use Graph, like you, imagine you know Graph. And all you need to know is how to build a command in CLI for that. Well, yeah, then you would look at CLI, how another command that is kind of um, similar was built, and then you would copy-paste and do actually that. If you don't know Graph, well, the only thing I can say, Graph docs. Like, they're really, like, to me, if I look at the all the APIs in the 365 space that I use over the years, Graph docs are the best. Like, there is no comparable API surface with as detailed, thorough docs that explain things like permissions, what you need to have and where, what to call, what you call, what you get back, all of that. I I don't know of any other uh, um, uh, resource. I don't know about you, Paul. I mean, you've seen a number of things over the year come and go. But I don't – yeah, even if I think back to back MSDN days, like it wasn't there.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's much. I would agree that the docs are great, and and I I like to I like to suggest to developers sometimes you need to get multiple sources, right? I can read the docs and maybe it doesn't sink in, but but by seeing some code that uses the same documentation, it helps me learn better. So that so yeah, that's yet another advantage of something like the CLI. So folks can see, oh, this is what this is what API has been called and and approaches on that. Yeah. Now. Anyone who's known me or has listened to the show for more than 3 weeks knows I have I love authentication. So obviously the CLI has to deal with authentication, right? So do, yes. do you you handle that and the other thing that first when I first saw it is you, you kind of like start your session and then and then I can issue multiple commands in a session, right? So at some point you're yes. maintaining state, right? So is it at a yes. high level can you tell us what what is that What's that like? What, I don't need to know what command you're running, necessarily, but, but how does the CLI approach maintaining that state, and what type of interesting techniques do you have?
2: Well, so there are two, there are two things that kind of give us the boundary in which we have to work. First of all, it is a command line tool, so there is no UI for it. You work, basically, in a terminal. Sure, we could force pop-up, like trying to do some magic browser thing, but that's kind of weird. And I will get back to that, like why. So that that is one. Two is, and I lost my train of thought. (laughs) State? There there are are, are two things. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Two is the fact that we work on any OS. So we have to have something that works in terminal and something that works on any OS. So we obviously cannot plug into anything specific to windows because we also need to work on mac and we cannot show a pop-up because we work in a terminal and sure like for example if you if, if you think about first one right pop-up why do you need pop-ups in auth well because mfa because we are being taught day in day out that if you enable mfa on your account it will help you improve your security posture by 99.99 percent so it's a simple flip but that flip leads to the fact that there is the uh, login name, password, and something else. And that something else also always works inside a pop up. So, something you have to do in browser. Well, you cannot do it in terminal because, like, for example, I don't know if, if you've seen it the other day. Uh, the, uh, you know the, uh, the Azure shell, right? Mm-hmm. When you go to Azure, there is the command line that you can open in browser. So, I've built exactly the same with uh, CLI. Right, so you run basically CLI in container in Docker and communicate with that in browser. Nice. Well, you wouldn't be able to pop up a pop up in a Docker container running elsewhere on the web while you are on terminal on on, on another side, right? So yeah. that wouldn't work. So this is exactly why we we have the constraint that we cannot show anything. Right, so we solve that using the device code of flow. <laughs> And for that, we had to stick with ADAL because M- M- MSAL doesn't offer it yet. And so for those who
1: are unfamiliar, what is the device login flow, device code flow? The way flow? it
2: works is that you say, I want to auth," And then the terminal calls back to, to Azure AD and then comes back with, go to this URL, type in this code. And you can do it on your phone. On, so even now, I'm, I'm working with CLI. I'm working inside a terminal, but the device code, I enter that in a browser, any device I want. I can do it on my phone, tablet, whatever. And the moment I did that, CLI will keep pinging AAD for a given amount of time until it times out, or it will get, get a response, this code has been used, successful, odd, here is a token. And with that, we can chat. Right.
1: And, and the key thing there is, like you said, I can I can open a second like I'm on Windows. So if I have a terminal open, I can just open the browser on my same computer or I can go somewhere else or I can turn around and open up my iPad. Right. And it does exactly. that. Right. Yes. And that multi-factor prompt then happens in this browser, in browser session, right? Yes. Right. Yeah. So yeah. We're still Yeah. Kind of, yeah. And now, so then, so that's how you do the auth, right? So then I'm guessing as well, you're maintaining state of some sort, right? Because you want to yes. use that token or, or, or do commands have multi, are they multi-step commands or is everything a single, like a request response I would do in the browser? So
2: every, well, we have different ones depending on what you want to do, right? For, for, for example, in Planner, when you want to get a list of your plans where that's a single call. But if you want to create a 365 group and set a logo on it, well, that is that is number of calls between which you you even need to wait for things to be be created, right? So so we 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 have both in CLI, um, and but on the outside, even though internally we we issue a number of calls to the APIs in 365, on the outside it is a single command. Either way, like for example, one way uh, in which you can so you can use cli in two ways you can use it use it in an immersive way immersive uh manner where in command line you type 0365 enter and that basically cli will start and will take over the command prompt and at that point you basically issue commands against cli so if you type anything specific to os like deer or ls well that will not work because that is not a cli command. So you will not be able to get the contents of a file because that is not implemented in CLI. But then there is the non-immersive mode where you're basically in command line and you type, for example, like things like uh, 0365 planner tasks list. And that will give you, because you prefix the command with 0 0365, which, which, which is the, the, the alias for CLI, it will run the command and then stop immediately. So in that way, you can use it to build a complete script.
1: And of course, yes, that's where I was going next, right? So I'm oh, familiar yes. with... Well, but I mean, I'm familiar with PowerShell, right? And I can I can pipe things, uh, uh, pipe the output of one command into another one, yeah. or I can set variables and use those later. Does the CLI offer that same capability? Yes. Yes. And now, did you have to write all that CLI infrastructure stuff, or was there a toolkit that helped get you started? And this is Paul so just you, being curious at this point.
2: So <laughs> there, there were... So there are two, or there's one big pro- 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 project which is used, which is uh, named Commander, and that was used by the old Azure C- 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 CLI before it was ported to uh, to Python because it was originally built in Node, uh, and we didn't use that because it didn't have quite a few things that we wanted to do like we what we have in CLI are kind of the git style commands where you have like a, n- a number of nouns and then at the end a verb so for example like all 365 planner task list so you basically have four commands whereas typically you will say you will say like uh, CLI stuff or CLI do this or do that like so basically there, there's uh, one command where we wanted to have the notion of subcommands so you can have a number of things in Planner, a number of things in Teams, in Flows, and so forth, and so on. Right. So Commander didn't have that in it. And in Azure, they built basically all of that around it. It was like, When I looked at that, it was pretty complicated. So then I found another open source uh, toolkit that was available and that had that in it. Unfortunately, now that we are a year and a half down, it turns out that the thing that we picked is not being being maintained. Isn't that always the case, right? (laughs) On the other hand, I don't care because it works for us. So far, it's been good. Like, there are a few things that we need to fix for ourselves. But other than that, I mean, it works fine. So we have a fork of that. If the original goes away, like, we don't care because that doesn't impact us. So we have our own fork that we can tweak to our needs. Yeah, I mean, it's acceptable. (laughs) Yeah, there you go, right. And so, you know,
1: that kind of touches on another thing that that I have struggled with in the past, right? So I take a dependency on something, and then it gets out of date. So here's here's a, a great example. And, and at one point, I was in a, called in to help with a project, and they had a dependency on the Office P and P C Sharp libraries. And when I went and looked, it was like the original version from from three years ago. And then they they were stuck because they had gotten so far out of date that. It was, hard to update just one thing and it became the whole continually update new good packages Mm -hmm. and so on and so obviously that's a risk that all developers take right and so is that if you had any choice that you'd like would would you rather re-architect your solution or do you just we're going to grab a copy of the source code. Obviously, in the CLI, that's what you've done, you've forked it. But do you run into, I guess, a lot of questions, right? And maybe the, put on your Rencore hat for this answer. So, do you see people running into that quite often? And how do you advise them to do that? Or what other options do you know of that, that can help mitigate that, that risk, if you
2: will? Well, I think if you think about it, like, <clears throat> If we, for example, think about CLI, right? Sure, the project, the, the original is not maintained or like some people do something, but it's not really much. But in a way, it doesn't impact us because it works. So why would I spend, like, I have only, like it's, it's a side thing that I do next to my work. I have limited uh, amount of time that I can spend on that. And that is interesting thing because like my background, originally I worked, on projects Project starts and they stop And you consult, you come in, you build the thing You go away But then I moved to a company, to Rancor Where we built a product Or A set of them And in a way, CLI is also a product It's a thing that I happen to manage For folks to use And everybody helps to build But that brings you to an interesting thing That being a consultant, I didn't always get looking at Microsoft, like how they build, like why SharePoint was never fixed. Why do we still have the things <laughs> from 2001 in it? Yeah. Well, this is exactly why. Because no one cares. Because at the end of the day, nobody will buy a new version because it has new engine. People want the features. People want the things that will help them be more effective in their work. New engine won't. It might sell, save some, some of the headaches that a uh, development team have. Right? Because maybe they will be able to use the cloud more efficiently, or maybe this, or maybe that. But at some point, the product becomes so massive that to change that has so much impact that you simply cannot say, you know what, we're going to throw millions at it. We will replace the whole insides of it, and then you will get the same version. It will be able to do exactly the same, but then different. Like, Yeah, that's not how sales work. Right. So, so in a way, in our way, I like, yes, we are aware of the limits that we, I mean, limits or the fact that there is no active maintenance on that. And maybe we're not getting some of the cool new features, but at this stage we have no, no, no need. Like everything we need is, is there. Right, And and you're comfortable enough – and this is exactly the the point, right?
1: You're comfortable enough having a copy of the code that we can – if you hear of a vulnerability and you need to address it, you, you have the yeah. code. You can do that. Yeah.
2: Exactly. Right. And, I, and I mean the engine that we use is not that big. It's not like you're talking about like thousands of lines of code. Like it's few files. I think it's like maybe 11, maybe uh, uh, 10 that you can just read and sure it might take initially a while for you to get to like to wrap your head around that because that code has has dependencies on other things they are being used in in a way but once you do that it's like one time exercise like you get through it you pay your dues and then you get it and then yeah. you can change things so- yeah, certainly is much nicer now in this world of open source, isn't it,
1: where you can get a copy of the repo or, or the source code, and if you need to address it or, or make yeah, sure it's That's almost it to try yeah. to
2: disassemble yeah. DLL to understand how it works, and then and there it is, and you can't do anything about it.
1: Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly, exactly. Um, and so now you know, we've mentioned Rencore a couple times, and obviously I know you guys do some developer tools, but you, you oh, kind of
2: provide that these. Hurts. Is, that hurts. Well, no, we, that so that, that is the Yes. Here's your chance to educate Paul and our listeners
1: about what you guys are doing. And it, it, I think this is relevant, right, in this conversation we just had about where I have libraries or I have external sources that I use and, and how do I
2: handle those. So how, how does Rencore help me do that kind of stuff? So I guess the first thing is things, things first. At Rencore, our goal is to help the customers to understand what they have in their environment and it, either that is on-premises or online, in 365. Because the one thing that we've learned over the past month is that you start with your, your intranet at some point, and you use it over time. And, and, and over time, when, when, when adoption increases, people start to add things to it. They will add scripts, widgets, they will add this and that because product invites them to. That is what, what adoption is, to use the product in a way that you can improve your work. Right, But then at some point, it's so much that, that everybody loses track what you actually have. And then you want to migrate and you hit the wall because you have applications, you have scripts, you have dependencies, you have things in there that you don't really know how it works because the person who put them there originally left and you're left with a broken page. And when you try to do things, you aggravate departments because like, they cannot do their work anymore. So what we try to do, what our ambition is, is to help companies make sense out of it, help them to understand what they have so that they can either upgrade their environments on-premises, move from on-premises to the cloud, and even do things like improve the posture of their intranet. Because oftentimes, like, the one thing that we see a lot is that companies, especially on-premises, there's a big thing. Like, they will invest in things like RSA tokens and firewalls and Citrix access and, and whatnot, like a bunch of IT pro stuff. At the end of the day, somebody will put a script on a page. So nobody is allowed to call in, but that script is already on a page, and, and it can call out. So it can just send all your confidential documents away, and you wouldn't even know about it. Right. So we help companies to understand like what they have in their environment, what has been added and what impact does it have on everything else that they have in there, whether it's documents or items or anything else. Great. Great. And so uh, every organization really should at least have a handle. Right. You don't know how to fix the problem unless you know what the problem is. Right. So I can. Exactly. First things first. Right. You have to understand what you have. And and we already see like if we look at um, fair size intranet we find tens of thousands of applications that, that range from simple piece of script added to a page to a bespoke spa built in Angular. Yeah. Everything and anything. I,
1: I can imagine. So this has been excellent, wonderful information here. So folks want to work on the CLI or use the CLI. How do we get started using with the CLI? What
2: the- I would say there's one best place to start with, no matter whether you want to use it, contribute, or read the docs, aka.ms slash C L I. Okay, and if folks want to chat with Waldeck, and how do they what's the best way to get a hold of you? On Twitter, that's my first name, M, Waldeck M, or at Rancor.com. Okay. Excellent. And congratulations
1: on the MVP award again, you old man. It's nice to see you here.
2: Likewise, dude. Yeah,
1: that's always great. And thanks for taking the time. This has been great information and I really appreciate
2: you taking time to talk to us. Thank you very much for having me.
0: Thanks for listening to the Microsoft 365 Developer Podcast. Please follow us on Twitter at M365DevPodcast and check out our show notes at www.m365DevPodcast.com. To help us spread the word, we'd really appreciate it if you could retweet our episode tweets and give us a review on iTunes. That's all, folks.